Hi, fantasy readers. This is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Today, I'm sneaking in another one of my own stories, but it's for a very specific reason. I am part of a group on Facebook called Indie Fantasy Addicts. If you love fantasy stories, but you're not in that group, you should be, because it's a fantastic resource for finding books to read. Every summer, they do a huge reading challenge with tons of prizes, which I love. Another thing they do each year is put out an anthology with short stories from authors in the group. This year, they had readers read and select stories from the entries, and one of my short stories was picked to be included in the anthology. The anthology is called From the Arcane, Relics of Legend and Lore, and it includes 14 fantasy short stories by 14 different authors. My contribution is called When There's a Tomorrow, and it's a bit more of a romantic fantasy than I typically write. One of the other authors compared it to Fifty First Dates, which made me laugh because I still need to see that movie, and I did not write a comedy. But at the same time, he was 100% right. It's a huge honor to have the short story picked, so I wanted to share it with you all. It's narrated by Peter Franson, host of Christian Geek Central. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find out more about the anthology as well as how to enter the giveaway. For now, please enjoy When There's a Tomorrow by Corinne Norton. Chapter 1. Running down the hill with two blankets, a picnic lunch, and three books in hand wasn't the wisest choice, but it was better than being late. If Roman didn't make it to the fence before midday, Cien wouldn't be there. His boots skidded along the dirt path, the pine woods on either side of him blurring as he neared the end of his family's property and the beginning of hers. By the time he caught a flash of pink between the trees, his breath came in gasps and a stitch tore at his side. Spending a school year training as a physician made him more proficient than most at understanding the body, but far less capable of using it. He slid to a less-than-distinguished stop a foot from the fence, letting the blankets and books tumble to the earth. The basket dropped with a thud, but his gasps kept him bent over, leaning on the handle for support. Between inhales and exhales, the crack of a slipper on sticks met Roman's ears. He glanced up. Sien's green eyes bore into his, her rosebud lips parting in surprise. She leaned against the fence to get a better look at her mysterious visitor— In return, Roman soaked in every familiar feature, hair like honey pulled back in twists that reached her waist, smooth skin with a dusting of freckles on her cheeks, eyes that smiled even before her lips could twitch, the pale pink dress that drew his gaze to her curves. Heat flooded his chest and neck, working its way up into his cheeks. At least he was already beat red from the run. He couldn't embarrass himself more. Roman preferred the more casual first impression, the exchange of pleasantries that escalated into mild flirting. Those were the days that ended with hope. But he'd been gone for almost a year, and his father had given him the entire year's chores this first morning back. It was better that he greet Cien in less-than-ideal circumstances than miss out on seeing her altogether. "'Are you all right?' Her tone held more amusement than concern, and she pressed her lips together as though holding back laughter. Better now. She stepped closer, wrapping slender fingers around the wooden posts that divided them. Her gaze took in his twisted trousers and sweat-stained shirt, her eyebrows rising when she reached his hair. 
Roman smoothed down the wild brown strands that always stood up in the back, then adjusted his waistband and crossed his arms, going for the casual look other boys at the university pulled off. Her lips broke into the smile that made his heart ache. Were you racing someone? She leaned forward conspiratorially to whisper. Did you win? He shook his head. Just out for a stroll. This time she laughed. Your strolls are a bit faster than mine. The faster pace is better. You should try it sometime. He grinned back at her. Usually he tried not to tease too quickly. He didn't want to scare her away. Were you meeting someone? Her smile fell a bit as she took in the basket and blankets, and her gaze flicked to the path behind him. Who would I expect to meet on my property? You live here? Her eyes lit up. We just moved in a few days ago. My name is Sien. Roman let his eyes slide shut for a moment, recalling the hundreds of times he'd heard her say those words. The comforting familiarity of them was drowned out by the alarming strangeness of it all. Still, he played his part. Moving away from his script never ended well. I'm Roman, he stepped forward, holding out a hand. Last summer, he'd graduated from handshakes to hand kisses. The difference was negligible by culture's standards, but the anticipation of her hand's soft skin gracing his lips sent fire through his bones. She placed her hand in his, and when he bent forward to brush his lips against her knuckles, he heard her intake of breath. Grumbling stomachs interrupted their greeting, so Roman showed her the way the fence opened, neglecting to mention that he'd stolen his father's saw five years ago to make the gate for her. He tempted her to his side with bread and cheese, but her eyes grew troubled. She glanced back to her side of the woods, where a small barn and farmhouse lay. Roman had been there exactly once in his life, and he had no desire to go there again. "'I can't leave our property,' she said. "'My parents made that clear.' Roman could have reminded her she would be eighteen tomorrow, old enough to make those decisions for herself. He could have insisted her parents didn't deserve her faithful obedience. He could have picked her up and dragged her to his side— but none of those options ever ended well. Then I'll come to you. He picked up the blankets and books and spread them out in the grass on her side. When he returned for the basket, she started the nervous babble he'd missed this past year. I shouldn't have come. It's like I want the temptation to cross the line. But I lost my pendant. I feel like it's out here, but I don't know why. She toyed with the chain hanging loose around her neck, its stone missing. Roman knew exactly where it was buried, exactly how many handfuls of dirt they'd need to dig up to find it, exactly how that dreadful scenario would end. He took her hand in both of his, forcing it to still. I'm glad you came. Perhaps I can help you find your pendant. It was a fruitless offer, but one he often made. Her face brightened, and she joined him on the blankets for lunch. They whiled away the afternoon, Cien sharing how misfortune in the city forced her parents to relocate to an old family stead, and Roman talking about his time at school, if nothing else to see how the new topic of conversation might change the outcome of the day. As the sun drifted lower in the sky, they lay on the blankets, elbows bent and hands behind their heads, legs splayed out in opposite directions. A strange melancholy settled over Roman. I could meet you out here like this every day, Cien, every day for a hundred years. She laughed and rolled on her side, leaning down over him. Every muscle in his body grew taut. This was new. Tomorrow I can't meet you. 
It's my birthday, and my parents are taking me to the city. Maybe the day after? Her face held hope, maybe a hint of uncertainty, a pure vulnerability that shined so brightly it blinded. Roman held his breath. She was close enough to kiss, and the longer she bent over him, the more he sensed she was aware of it too. He could test it. He could lean in and see what happened. What did it matter if he ruined the end of one day? One day when they'd had hundreds of perfect days, none of which she remembered. She leaned back, and he lost his chance, just like he'd lost all his chances before. Roman sat up so suddenly that she did the same. He grabbed her hands in his, running his thumbs over her wrists, relishing the way she welcomed his touch, the way she leaned into his warmth. I will come tomorrow, he said, and when she opened her mouth to argue, he held a finger to her lips to silence her. I will come tomorrow and every day after, just in case. She smiled against his finger. All the days he'd spent studying medicine and memory loss, all the nights he'd spent dreaming of the day she might remember him, felt frighteningly short. He'd returned without answers, without progress. He slid his fingers over her jaw, letting them curl into the hair at the nape of her neck. Her eyes closed as she leaned into his touch, as she leaned into him. Roman's heartbeat picked up its pace, his soul fighting his body. Would it be wrong to kiss her, knowing she wouldn't remember it the next day? Her eyes fluttered open. I, I have to go. She stood so quickly she tripped over her skirts. Thank you for a wonderful day. Maybe we can do it again in two days' time? She smiled apologetically as she backed away, tripping once more over a root. Then she turned and ran toward her home. I'll see you tomorrow, he whispered into the night. Chapter 2 Roman watched Cien leave like he'd done a hundred times before, letting the ghost of her haunt him as the woods grew dark. The first time he'd seen her at the edge of the trees, he'd been only ten years old, to a ten-year-old boy, she was the princess of fairy tales, far more interesting to his fourteen-year-old sister Lenora than him. But his sister never ventured past the barn, and Cien remained his alone. At first he kept quiet about the woman in the woods because he and Lenora were fighting. Despite Cien's daily insistence that they'd never met, the two of them were eager for companionship, and a strange friendship was struck. By the time Roman and Lenora had made up, He'd thought of Sien as a secret, one he continued to keep. By fourteen, he realized she was more than a secret, or maybe less. Have you been in my imagination all this time? Roman had asked, folding his arms across his chest and leaning against a tree. He'd been awkward at that age, all limbs with sharp angles. Sien had turned, startled to be caught where the pine trees thinned, as if he hadn't caught her there nearly every day for the last four years. Her green eyes widened, and her lips rounded. Sorry, do I know you? Roman sighed. It was always the same game, and he'd grown tired of it. The adults had started treating him differently, giving him more chores, greater responsibility. But Cien still saw him as a child, as someone to tease. Of course you do. I'm Roman, and you're Cien. We meet here every day. There's no use pretending otherwise. He scuffed his boot in the dirt, frowning at a worm instead of Cien. She wasn't really much older than him. He could see that now. She was far closer to Lenora's age than he'd realized. Except, had it always been that way? 
I've only lived here a few days. Cien took a step back, a shadow hiding the pouch she was sure to be sporting. How do you know my name? Roman snorted, then reined in his irritation. Some days he scared her off with his attitude. Would you like to play a game? Her eyes lit up before she wilted once more. I can't leave the woods. I know, he pushed off the tree, not wanting to repeat the conversation again. Why don't you guess my age? She smiled. That's an unusual game, but I'll play. She bit her lip, studying him from head to toe until he grew uncomfortable and wished he'd picked another game. You're a head shorter than me, but I can tell you've recently sprouted. He shifted his feet, as if he could hide his ankles peeking from beneath his pant legs. Fifteen? Almost, he puffed out his chest. I'm almost right, or you're almost fifteen? Both. They grinned at each other. Your turn. She turned her profile as if it might help him gauge her years. The high neckline and rounded skirt matched his mother's style more than his sister's, but Cien didn't have lines or marks on her face, except for the tiny mole above her lip on the right side. Well? Roman started, noticing the pink tinge on her cheeks after he'd stared at her mouth for so long. Twenty? He mumbled. Eighteen! She bounced a bit where she stood. Or I will be tomorrow. Papa said he'll take me to the city for my birthday and... She cut off, her smile fading. Happy birthday, he said the words with a frown because he swore she'd told him it was her birthday earlier this winter. Cien picked up talking again as if she hadn't blundered and as if he hadn't been rude, but Roman didn't hear everything she said. It didn't make sense that she was only eighteen. She would have been fourteen when they first met. She would have looked different back then. Unless he just didn't remember right. Maybe girls don't change as much between fourteen and eighteen as boys did. I'm hoping he'll buy a replacement pendant for my necklace. I must have lost it when we moved. I came out here today looking for it. For some reason, I felt compelled to look for it in these woods. She turned and took in the surrounding dirt, her brow furrowed. Here by the fence. It always came back to the silly, missing pendant, but this time, instead of helping her look, Roman narrowed his gaze and took in her dress as it fluttered around her. Not only was it old-fashioned, but it was the same pink dress she'd worn every day they'd met. Lenora would have noticed that detail years ago. "'Are you a ghost?' He hadn't meant to interrupt her, but once the words were out, she faltered. "'A ghost? I see you every day in the same dress.' You look the same as you did four years ago. You're either a figment of my imagination or you're a ghost. She took another step back. Roman regretted his question, even as he longed for an answer. The easy camaraderie between them filled with thick awkwardness. I, I think maybe my parents had good reason to warn me away from the edge of the woods. She turned and fled before he could protest. For the next year, he asked her age and took care not to bring up ghosts. Every day, her answer was the same. It was the eve of her 18th birthday. What are you doing? Cien asked, startling Roman from his work. What does it look like? He continued pulling on his father's saw back and forth as it cut through the fence dividing them. I don't think my father will appreciate you damaging his fence. Roman straightened up, wiping sweat from his brow. They were the same height now that he was 15, she chewed at her lip, the worry in her eyes unusually fearful. 
but it was the first time he'd shown up with a sharp metal blade. I'm Roman, your neighbor. He set down the saw and removed his glove, stretching his hand out between the fence posts. She took it hesitantly, shaking it just long enough to be polite. Cien, nice to meet you. He pulled his glove back on and resumed sawing, shouting over the buzz of metal on wood. My father built this fence, so I don't think your father will complain. Besides, I'm turning it into a gate. She watched him work, occasionally pitching in to hold the wood steady while he hammered on hinges where he'd sawed the wood. The work was unfamiliar to him, and it took several tries, and most of the afternoon, to get it right. They each stepped back on their respective sides to admire their gait as the sun set. I wish we'd had more time to talk, Cien said shyly. Maybe I can come again in a couple of days. Or tomorrow, Roman muttered. No, her smile bloomed full force. Tomorrow's my birthday. After five years, how had he not noticed the way her eyes flashed in the sunset, or the way her cheeks flushed pink with her excitement? He gripped the fence for support as his heart picked up its pace. Even though he drank in the sight of her beaming face, his mouth went dry. Happy birthday, he mumbled. He'd been working hard that day, spending too much time out in the sun. He needed water and rest, and yet he leaned on the fence, studying the woods long after Cien had left. Chapter 3 Once there was a gate, Roman regularly crossed over to Cien's side of the woods. He always had to wait until she trusted him, but it never took long. They played games in her woods and shared picnics. They strung a hammock between two trees and read books. Some days, Roman couldn't stay long because of school or chores. Some days were cut short because of snow or rain. Lenora constantly pestered him, claiming the woods to the south were cursed. It was a ploy to either scare him or get him in trouble, so he kept his mouth shut until she finally wed and moved away the summer he turned sixteen. She left without ever knowing of Cien's existence. Roman rarely missed a day meeting Cien. She was always there, and he had long since given up understanding her memory loss. There were benefits to starting fresh each day, especially after a day where they'd fought, though they typically only fought when she resisted coming to his side of the woods. I dare you to step a single foot on my side of the fence, he said one afternoon. He'd made the same dare countless times, and it always ended in her tears. Cien's face paled, and she took a step back. My parents have forbidden it. Roman leaned in to whisper. And how will they know if you do? The crease between her eyebrows deepened as she looked between him and the open gate. She always considered the dare, but she never gave in. Being a sixteen-year-old boy, Roman was determined to encourage any rebellion. Fine, let's play a different game. He pulled out a blindfold and wrapped it around his eyes, tying it in the back. What are you doing? she asked with a laugh. I want you to spin me five times and see if I can tell where I am. They each played the game three times, failing miserably in their sense of direction. The fourth time he spun her wildly. With each spin, her braid brushed his face, sending the scent of honey to tickle the back of his nose. She giggled uncontrollably, and the trust she exhibited in letting Roman spin her blindly made him hesitate. Trust was something he should never want to lose, but he still spun her across the gate and onto his father's property. 
Cien sucked in a gasp and fell to her knees, gripping the grass as if her life depended on it. I feel sick, she murmured. He bent over and pulled off her blindfold, placing a steadying hand on her back. It's just from the spinning. I guess we played too many times. Her eyes darted as she regained her balance and focus. Then they widened in horror. You took me across the fence. Her breath came faster, and she crawled back toward the opening. Roman grabbed her arm and tugged, wanting her to stay. It's fine, see? You're on my side of the fence, and you're fine. But she wasn't fine. Her fast breaths turned to panic, and she clawed at her throat. It's making me sick, she said between gasps. He released her, and she crawled across the property line before collapsing in the grass. Anger brewed inside him. Her reaction was overdramatic, her fears unfounded. He stood, leaning on the fence to glare at her. Are you saying you never leave your home? What does it matter if you stay on your side of the fence? She stared up at him, eyes pooling with tears. Her suffering made his stomach flare with guilt, but that only made him angrier. Why am I the one who always has to cross over? Why must I always be the one who brings books and food and games? Why can't you ever remember who I am? She flinched, her panic shifting to fear. Fear of Roman and his words that didn't make sense. Only they made more sense than anything he'd said to her in the past. As the words spilled out of him, hot with anger, he realized that was the crux of it. It didn't matter that she couldn't cross the line or that she wasn't willing to. It mattered that their friendship could never cross a line. If she only ever remembered one day, how would she ever trust him enough to share her secrets, to share her burdens? How would she ever care as much as he did? Roman wanted to be more than the new neighbor boy who helped her pick flowers for her mother. And as long as she forgot him every day, that wouldn't be possible. He never tried bringing her across the fence line again. It had been unkind of him to do it the first time, and he'd learned his lesson. But that didn't mean he didn't find other ways to experiment. Why do you wear that chain? Roman asked. Summer had come and gone, and fall was soon to end. They expected the first snow in another day or two, so they were both bundled up in their winter coats, pretending it wasn't too cold to sit outside and play cards. Even though her right hand already grasped the chain, Cien placed her left hand over it self-consciously. It's supposed to have a pendant. I think I must have lost it in our move. What did it look like? he asked, even though he knew the answer. They'd searched for it before, but it always felt like there was more to the story. Things she wasn't willing to tell him. It was a beautiful red stone, she said wistfully. My father found it when he worked the mines. I was only a baby, and he brought it home and fashioned it into a necklace. I've worn it every day of my life since. I never meant to take it off. The pain that shadowed her face spurred Roman on. Where have you looked for it? She shrugged. I've looked everywhere. I spent all morning looking for it in the house. In fact, it's the reason I came out here. Something made me think it might be at the edge of the woods, which is silly since this is the first time I've been here. He couldn't hold back his snort at that. What if it is out here? He stood and brushed off his trousers. If that's what you came for, we should look for it. 
They spent hours searching at the edge of the woods. They did it again the next three days, even though CM thought each day was a new search. Roman strategically mapped out sections of the wood, ensuring they didn't search an area twice. Finally, their search brought them to a rock filled with crevices near the gate. When they rolled it aside to check each nook, the dirt felt loose, like it had recently been disturbed. Their eyes met, and Cien's brow rose. Is it possible you buried it and forgot? Roman asked softly. Any time he accused her of not remembering him or the things they'd done, she grew wary and left. But would she consider the possibility that she had a faulty memory for something like this? She bit her lip and shook her head. It could be something else. But if it was the stone, if Cien or someone else had buried it, what would that mean? Roman didn't ask, mostly because he wondered if she was already thinking it. They dug up the dirt, its softness surprising when the rest of the earth had hardened with the frigid air. Five handfuls of earth came out before their fingernails scraped metal. Cien froze. With a trembling hand, she reached into the hole and pulled out a bright red stone. It glinted in the sun, one end polished smooth and the other set in metal with an undamaged loop. It couldn't have fallen off her necklace any more than it could have buried itself in the dirt. Her face crumpled in dismay. How did it get here? Roman didn't answer her question. His thoughts would only upset her. Footsteps thundered down the path toward them, coming from her family's home. They both jumped to their feet in surprise. Guilt crossed Sien's face as she shoved the stone behind her back, but shock rippled through Roman. No one had ever come upon them before. Their meetings had felt safe and sacred, like they'd stepped out of time each day to be with one another. But now, a woman ran toward them, her brown dress similar in style to Sien's, and her mostly blonde hair settled in a bun atop her head. She caught sight of Sien and hiked up her skirts, the faster pace making wisps of gray fall around her face. "'What are you doing?' she called out. They exchanged a glance and took a step away from each other, Romans purposely taking him back through the gate. Hopefully, Sien's mother hadn't noticed he'd been across it. Mother, Sien said, this is Roman. Roman, this is my mother, Anna. Roman shouldn't have been surprised. They looked so much alike. But after six years of meeting Sien, he'd never met her mother. Why had she come today? You've been digging, Anna said, ignoring Roman. Cien glanced down at the hole behind her. Well, yes, but look what I found. She held out the stone, her face a mask of confusion. Her mother ripped the stone from her fingers. Never dig this up again. Do you understand? Cien blanched, and Roman itched to reach across the fence to protect her. Within moments, Anna had the stone buried in its hole, the earth padded back down, and the rock guarding it once more. She stood and turned her glare on Roman. And you! She pointed a finger at him while using her free hand to grab Cien's arm. I never want to see you here again! She dragged Cien away before either of them could recover their senses, let alone say goodbye. Long after they left, Roman stared at that rock. He continued to see it in his mind's eye all through dinner and while he lay in bed. The next morning, he rose after a sleepless night and headed to the fence before sunrise. The rock still sat there, tempting him. 
He gave in and shoved the rock aside, digging out handfuls of dirt until he reached the stone to study it. What purpose did Sien's mother have for burying it? He considered pocketing it, but Sien wouldn't remember him today. Showing up with her most precious gift might be more suspicious than helpful. A crack sounded, and he turned, curious to see if Sien was ever out this early, but it wasn't Sien. What do you think you're doing? Anna asked as she studied him down the shaft of her arrow. Roman froze, gaze locked on the arrow meant for his eye. For a moment, all of Lenore's tales of a cursed wood came back to him. He almost believed this woman could be a witch who cursed the woods, who brought death on anyone who dared trespass. I just wanted to look at it, but I'm putting it back. He slowly lifted his hands, pinching the red rock between his thumb and forefinger. He made a show of throwing it in the hole, then burying it and covering it with the rock. To his surprise and relief, Anna let him go. But Sien never showed up that day, or any other day her mother caught Roman with the pendant. Over the next year, he only managed to dig it up and rebury it twice, once by a tree and once by the gate before being caught. It didn't matter the time of day. It was like Anna could sense it being moved. Both times it still showed up under the rock the following day, as if he'd never moved it. Whether or not Roman was caught, on the days he dug up the rock, Sien didn't come to the fence. Whatever mystery the stone held, investigating it wasn't worth that price. After that year, he never dug it up again. Instead, he dug for answers. The stone's secret could stay buried, but Roman's determination to free Sien from the prison of her mind surfaced with fresh incentive. He loved her too much to let her stay trapped. Chapter 4 Solving Sien's problem required creativity, which is how he ended up at her front door one spring afternoon when he was 17. He knocked, expecting her parents, but still hoping she might be the one to open the door, that she might invite him in for a normal afternoon of tea, but her father's large frame filled the doorway instead, his eyes holding a quiet and familiar kindness. Roman recognized him as Laban, a man his father had insisted was quite religious when they'd caught him leaving the churchyard early one morning. Apparently, Laban prayed with the priest every day. Good afternoon, sir. Roman took off his hat and gave the older man a quick bow. Laban's lips parted slightly, the only sign that he acknowledged the greeting. I've come asking for permission to call on your daughter. Roman twisted his hat in his hands, waiting to see if the man would rail at him like his wife, or if he would miraculously say yes. Instead, the older man's eyes took on a sadness that struck deep in Roman's core. You don't even know my daughter. Roman stood straighter. I know Sien. She loves spring flowers and summer fireflies. She's excellent at riddles, but terrible at catch. She tries to act serious, but she gets excited about the smallest things and can't contain herself. His cheeks hurt from smiling, but he kept on like a fool. I find her beautiful, but she's also my friend. I don't think she'll believe my interest, not unless I ask properly to court her. His smile faded a bit. It was more complicated than that, but how else could he explain his need to be with her? The afternoon games and teasing could never be enough. Her father sighed heavily but didn't budge. 
It was becoming awkward how long he was letting Roman stand out on their front porch. If you know her as well as you say, then you know about her sickness. Roman's hands stilled, and he dropped his hat. So it's a sickness? He'd wondered how they could explain the memory loss. He'd thought it had to be something else after years of Cien's repetitive conversations and unchanging looks, but a sickness made far more sense than Lenora's talk of curses or Anna's obsession with keeping Cien's pendant buried. Cien wasn't actually eighteen. She just thought she was. I won't say anything more, Laban said. If she hasn't explained it to you, she doesn't want you to know. Roman could sense the conversation coming to a close, so he rushed on. I don't see why that should stop me from calling on her. Maybe if I come each day, she'll trust me enough to tell me. Her father stared at him for a while, considering. Roman did his best to look worthy of Cien, but if her father loved her half as much as he did, that wasn't possible. I think it's best if you go home, Laban said softly, but the words still stung. Saying yes would only end in heartache for everyone involved. My wife and I will take care of her. It's our duty and our privilege. Roman opened his mouth to argue, but Laban shut the door in his face. The next afternoon, Roman asked his teacher for every resource he had on brain development and memory. The professor's eyes brightened. He likely expected Roman to become a star pupil as he handed over several tomes that Roman lugged home. He took one with him to the edge of the woods and laid out a blanket to read while waiting for Cien. Hello, she called. He rolled from his stomach to his side and gave her a wave, but his greeting caught in his throat. He'd known for years that she wouldn't remember him the next day, but something about hearing her father confirm it as a sickness made it more real, more painful. Roman wanted her to remember him the same way he remembered her. He wanted her to love him the same way he loved her. What are you reading? She leaned over the fence. I'll show you. He stood and gathered up the blanket. She backed away, eyes wide. Roman opened the gate and spread the blanket on her property. Then he lay back down and opened his book once more, leaving room for her to lie beside him and study its pages. She hesitated for a moment, like she always did, but her curiosity got the best of her, and soon she was nestled beside him, peering at the diagrams. At first, she maintained a respectable distance, and they studied together. But the more she got lost in learning the information, the sooner their shoulders touched, and their now stockinged feet bumped into each other. Why are you studying this? Cien turned toward Roman, brow furrowed, the motion placing their faces far too close. The heat of her arm against his and the scent of honey coming from her hair left him intoxicated. I'm curious, he mumbled, about how our memories work. She smiled, and his gaze dropped to her lips. Are you studying to be a physician? The question startled him out of his haze of desire, and he barked out a laugh. No, never. But then her words sank in. If she was truly sick with a memory disorder, he would never get answers here in this small town. He needed to expand his search. He needed to train under a physician. The idea should have given him hope. There were answers out there if he was willing to look for them, but the thought of leaving her here was too painful. I'd rather stay here and farm my father's land, he said the words slowly, as if testing the truth of them. 
He'd always envisioned life as a farmer, but lately those visions had included her by his side, and her father had made that part of his dream impossible. I'm glad, Cien nudged her shoulder against his. I would hate to meet my new neighbor just to have you leave. Half of Roman wanted to shift to his side and pull her into his arms, but the other half of him internally cringed at the reminder of her memory loss. She didn't remember growing up with him the way he remembered growing up with her. She never would. It didn't matter if he left. In fact, leaving might be the kindest thing he could do for her. He spent that last summer finding ways to say goodbye, ways to leave reminders. He planted a dozen different flower bushes along the fence line, knowing she would appreciate the variety in her bouquet. He carved their initials on the fence post, even though she wouldn't recognize his. One night, Roman grew especially melancholy. Are you all right? Cien asked when he lost his place in their book while reading out loud. I'm just thinking about tomorrow. Her eyes lit up, just like he knew they would. Me too. Tomorrow is my 18th birthday. Roman feigned surprise, but his face probably held more of a grimace. Tomorrow is my 18th birthday. It hurt to say the words out loud, to acknowledge that he was passing her by which was ridiculous. She was aging like him, only she didn't know it. My parents were going to take me to town tomorrow, she said. I'll try to convince them to stay. Maybe we can bake a cake together. He smiled, wishing that were true. If they say no, I'll at least bring back a big fat piece from the bakery for you. He dared to hug her goodbye that night, to linger with his kiss on her hand. But he couldn't bear to see her the next day, or the day after, and then he boarded a train for the city to begin training as a physician. Chapter 5 The year of training had done little to help Roman understand her memory loss, and now that he was back, her situation felt even more hopeless. Still, he rose early the next morning, intent on getting his chores done before noon, so he could have more time with Cien. The cows had been milked and the animals fed, but he hadn't had time to muck the stable before his father pulled him aside. I want you to call on the neighbors this morning. Roman wiped the sweat from his brow, careful not to replace it with something far worse. The Parsons? His father had sold them a calf the week before. Hopefully they weren't returning it. His father shook his head. The ones south of us. They've hardly spoken to us over the years. Roman's hands stilled over the pitchfork's handle. The ones with a daughter my age? His father shrugged. I don't know how old she is. The priest simply said she's sick, and he wants all of us to pitch in to help fund treatment. He handed Roman several notes. I guess the father has been coming every morning for years to pray for her. The old priest didn't take him seriously because he kept coming. He figured if the girl was really sick, she would have died by now. Roman's heart beat faster, as if the words meant something, changed something. And the new priest believes him? His father rubbed the back of his neck, brow furrowed. I think this priest is less concerned about whether it's true. He'd rather make sure we're taking care of each other. Maybe then the truth will come out. Roman's chest filled with air, ready to fuel a shout that he knew the truth, that it wasn't a sickness that could kill her, but a sickness of the mind. But the words sounded foolish in his own mind. Even after studying the body for a year, he didn't understand it. What made him think he could fix it? His father headed back to the fields, and Roman contemplated the surprisingly generous number of notes in his hand. They wouldn't help. 
Short of a miracle, there was no solution to her problem. That was the real reason her father went out each day to pray for her. But what if she didn't need her problems solved? What if Roman was willing to take her as she was? They could grow old together, falling in love every single day. He would woo her every morning and wed her every afternoon if it meant he could bring her home with him every night. Eventually, her parents would grow old. They would need someone else to take care of her. Would it be so terrible if they left that task to him? Hope burned in Roman's chest. It had been over a year since he'd asked Laban to let him call on her. Surely her father would take him more seriously now that he was older and more educated. Now that Roman was still making an offer, even though he'd had time away to rethink it, Laban would see his sincerity. He would accept. Roman raced down the road to Sien's home, even though crossing through their properties would have been much faster. She wouldn't know him yet today, and he didn't want to risk scaring her off. Not today. Laban answered the door, making Roman's memory of his previous request hit him in the gut as Laban stood with his same hulking form and curious expression. "'I've come on behalf of my father,' Roman's words came out in short gasps as he passed over the crumpled notes. "'He wishes to help fund Sien's treatment.' The man blinked several times, the skin around his eyes turning red. "'That's... that's very kind.' He held the notes back out. But I can't accept. There is no treatment. Roman shoved his hands in his pockets without accepting the money. I'm sorry to hear that. I still care very much for Sien. Laban squinted at him. Are you friends? Of sorts, Roman said, even though it burned to know he'd already been forgotten. I'd very much like to be more, though. Laban lowered his hand and Roman could practically see the debate in the older man's mind over whether to keep the money and turn Roman away or whether to let Roman say his piece until Laban could give the money back. I know about her condition, Roman rushed on, not willing to lose his chance. And I choose to love her anyway, her father grunted his disbelief. I'd wed her this afternoon if you'd let me. The air between them grew thick as Laban's eyes narrowed. I'm sure you would. He took a step forward, forcing Roman back. And what do you think it would do to her? What if she got pregnant? Roman swallowed hard, his face heating. He supposed he hadn't thought it through as much as Laban. What would it do to Sien if she woke, stomach swollen with a pregnancy she didn't remember? And yet a part of him longed for that in their future, for a child with her honey-blonde hair and an infectious giggle. He hadn't even known it was what he wanted until her father suggested it, and now he ached over the idea that it might not be possible. That's what I thought, Laban muttered, tossing the money at Roman's feet. We've tried everything, spent every last penny on treatments in the city. Now we've settled here to live out the rest of our days in peace. His voice rose with the last two words, and then he slammed the door in Roman's face once more. Roman left the notes on the porch and returned home to his chores. He was almost late meeting Sien that afternoon. Part of him couldn't stand to see her after being rejected by her father, but the other part of him couldn't stay away. He'd never truly be able to. Hello, he called out softly, not wanting to disturb her as she bent to pick one of the hydrangeas he'd planted the summer before. She jumped anyway, then laughed as her hand covered her heart.
You scared me. Roman smiled, keeping his distance more than usual. It was voluntary torture to be in her presence every day, to start fresh each morning. Sorry, I'm Roman, your neighbor. I'm Sien. It's nice to meet you. We just moved in a few days ago. She came close to the fence, studying him with something more than curiosity. You must be the man who came to the house this morning. He pulled at his collar, wishing he'd changed clothes after finishing his chores, but then he would have missed her. He leaned against the fence, picking at a knot in the wood. My father sent me, he winced. Did that negate the fact she'd thought of him as a man? When had she even started thinking of him as a man rather than just the neighbor boy? It was kind of you, both of you. Sien's smile was genuine, but her eyes held pain. I wish it were a simple fix. There's nothing simple about the mind, Roman said. Memory is complex, and it's only a fraction of what our brains do. Trying to fix one element could easily break another. It's like trying to hold a flowing river in your hands. The brain? She leaned her elbows on the fence beside him so they were nearly touching. She wasn't usually so quick to come near, but his father's generosity must have made her feel safe with a stranger. I've been studying it for the last year while training to be a physician. The words didn't hold the excitement he'd once had. He'd enjoyed the schooling more than he'd anticipated, but knowing it was fruitless to return to his studies, knowing her parents had already exhausted all their options, left him far less motivated. Sien had always alluded to their troubles in the city, their need to move out to the family's land. He'd never realized it was because they'd spent all their money on an impossible cure. I'm sure that's intriguing, but it wouldn't help me. It's my heart that's failing. Her eyelashes fluttered like a hummingbird's wings, but for Roman, everything slowed, her words echoing in his head with a strange finality. Your heart? His voice came out strangled. Cien bit her lip and looked away. I suppose the truth won't shock a physician in training. The doctors in the city gave me a month to live, maybe two. He shook his head, unable to take in her words. It wasn't possible. She'd been here for years, and she'd always seemed perfectly healthy, well, except for her memory. You're sure it's not your memory? She laughed lightly, her hand rising to her necklace. Unless you count my lost pendant. I searched for it all morning, but I can't remember what I did with it. I must have lost it in the move. But you came out here, Roman said, letting his words draw out as he tried to put the pieces together. You came out here because it felt like it might be at the edge of the woods. Yes, she eyed him strangely. How did you know that? Are they teaching you mind-reading tricks while you learn about memories? Her cheeks flushed, and she took a step back, as if she might not want him knowing her thoughts. His mind raced backward through the day, through his life. Her father hadn't been worried about her forgetting a pregnancy. He'd been worried about it killing her faster. Except her heart condition hadn't killed her. Not after one or two months. Not even after eight years. Because for her, eight years hadn't passed. She wasn't just forgetting each day, she was reliving a single day. Lenora had been right all along. These woods were cursed. Are you all right? Cien asked. Roman could have stood there all day taking in her sun-streaked braid and smooth skin, 
but he'd already wasted an entire year studying the wrong thing, ignoring the truth because it hadn't made sense, hadn't seemed believable. Without warning, he rushed through the gate and squeezed CN's hands. Please listen and give me a chance. Trust me. But instead of talking or waiting for an answer, Roman turned around and pushed aside the rock, digging out the five handfuls of earth that led him to a bright red stone. Sien gasped and reached for it, but he held it back. She planted her hand on her hips. How did you— Your mother is going to come up the hill. He could already hear her footsteps. She's going to be angry that I dug it up. She's going to demand that I give it back. But this time, we need to get answers from her first. Chapter 6 What do you think you're doing? Anna huffed as she ran the last few paces, her narrowed eyes dancing between Sien and Roman. When her gaze landed on the stone, she lunged for it, but Roman held it high, like one child teasing another in the schoolyard. "'Why did you bury this?' he asked. Anna placed her hands on her hips, mimicking Sien's stance. "'Just because you bring money and offer to take her hand in marriage doesn't mean you can ask questions.' Sien's sharp intake of breath twisted Roman's gut, but he focused on Anna. Sien thought she'd lost this, but you buried it. Anna's face darkened. Give it to me. She held out one hand, palm up, nostrils flaring. When Roman didn't budge, she spoke again. Sien, go get your father. Sien obeyed without question, rushing down the path toward their home. Happy? Anna crossed her arms over her chest. The run is likely to kill her. He swallowed down the guilt she'd stirred up. Sien said she has only two months to live, but she and I have spent almost every afternoon for the last eight years in these woods. How is that possible? Anna scoffed. We just moved here three days ago. You've lived here for at least eight years. I met Sien when I was ten. That's impossible. She lifted her chin. We moved here a few days ago after we exhausted all our options. Her eyes grew troubled, and her gaze flicked to the stone. Are you sure you exhausted all your options? Roman asked. Anna's face took on a pink hue that was reminiscent of Sien's blushes. My husband wasn't willing to exhaust every option. But you were? Anna pursed her lips and turned away. As the sun snuck behind the tree line, Sien and her father hurried up the hill. This pendant seems like a funny thing to bury on your property right after arriving. Roman turned it over in his hand, especially when Sien would feel lost without it. Sien and Laban slowed as they approached, Sien focusing on breathing while her father's expression grew more wary. What was the last option your husband wasn't willing to exhaust? Roman let his voice carry as he held up the red stone. Sien's mother twisted her apron and wiped the sweat from her face. Anna? Laban stepped forward, placing a large hand on his wife's shoulder. What's this all about? Sien's mother sidestepped his grip. We had to try something. You said we only had prayer left, but I'd already been praying every day of her life. Her voice broke. I had to try something. Laban's mouth swung open, but he didn't speak. "'What did you do?' Roman asked. Sien sat on a stump, her face taking on a grayish tinge. Now that he knew she had a heart condition, he thought through all the games they'd played over the years, 
all the ways he'd put her life at risk without realizing it. He wanted to gather her in his arms and take her back to her home. He wanted to call for the local physician to get a second opinion. How many opinions had they gotten? And how much had the world's knowledge of her heart condition changed in the last eight years? Because it had been eight years, no matter what lies Anna told. I went to the witches, Anna whispered. Laban's shoulders drooped. Oh, Anna. I couldn't lose my baby, Anna's voice came out harsh, but her husband merely wrapped her in his arms, letting her sob against his chest. They promised me more time. That's all I wanted, more time, just a little more time. She repeated the words over and over, the impossible truth sinking in. They gave you one last day, over and over, Roman said. All of you, for eternity. That was why her father hadn't remembered him, why they hadn't realized something was wrong with Sien's memory. They were all under the same curse. Sien's eyes widened as her own understanding dawned. Is that possible? They're witches, Laban grumbled. Anything is possible. I've spent the last eight years watching you live the same day over and over, Roman said. Sien's hands went to her temples, as if his words pained her. Anna stepped back. No, they were supposed to heal you. They said I would have all the time I needed if I placed their spell on your pendant, if I buried it at the edge of the wood. As long as you stay here and keep it off your neck, you'll get well. Roman shut his eyes in relief. Then the curse can be broken. Sien just has to wear the necklace once more. He took tentative steps toward Sien, then kneeled by her side. Your mother tried to trick nature, and the witches tricked her instead. Do you understand what this means? Sien nodded, blinking away tears. He reached to wipe a stray one, then cupped her cheek in his hand. Usually, it took an afternoon of reading or games for her to warm up. But today she leaned into his touch like she had so many times before, closing her eyes. You think I should put the necklace back on? No, her mother cried. She'll stay sick, she'll die. Anna buried her face in Laban's chest once more. Roman studied the stone in his other hand. Sien only had to put it around her neck, and the strange time loop she was stuck in would stop. She'd be free, free to remember each new day, free to age, free to die. He wrapped his fingers around the stone, letting its edges dig into his palm. I don't know. It's all right, Sien said, placing her hand over his fist. It gave me far more time than anyone is meant to have, even if I don't remember it. She bit her lip, but she turned his hand over, prying his fingers loose. He let her take the stone, watching as she undid the clasp of her necklace and looped it through the pendant. He took in the high collar of her dress, the pristine stiffness of the material, Something still didn't add up. Before she placed it back around her neck, Roman circled her wrist with his hand. Wait, when did you move here? Do you remember the year? She let out a strangled laugh. Of course. The king's coronation took place just before we left. The year reset for his reign. Roman's stomach dropped, making him thankful he already kneeled on the ground. Which king? He whispered, though the answer didn't matter. They hadn't had a king for decades, at least a century. Wendell the Fourth, her father said. 
Roman sat back on his heels, stunned while he tried to do the math. Five hundred years, he said. You've repeated this day for five hundred years. Even Anna turned around, all three of their faces reflecting the shock undoing Roman. What have I done? Anna whispered. Put the stone around your neck, Laban's voice came out hoarse. We've cheated time long enough. Tomorrow we'll face the future. Roman tightened his grip on Sien's wrist, his mind racing. The witches intended this to be a trick, but what if we can use it for good? What do you mean? Sien asked. He pulled the necklace from her hand, undoing the clasp and removing the pendant. It's been five hundred years since you saw a physician. Medicine has come a long way. Sien and her mother exchanged hopeful glances. She can't leave our property. If she leaves, the spell, Anna hung her head, or curse will be broken. Roman closed his eyes, thinking of the time he'd tricked her onto his property, the way she'd felt short of breath and panicked. He'd nearly killed her. Then I'll bring someone to her. You want me to wait to break the curse? Sian asked. Just until you find a cure, Laban added. Roman nodded. The silence stretched as each of them contemplated what they were committing to do. I won't remember you, Sian said. We won't remember this conversation. You won't remember, but I will. He would bring every physician to her doorstep, try every test and medicine. He wouldn't even tell her about the curse again until he'd found a cure. Even if he had to go back to school and discover it himself. Even if he was too old to make good on his promise of marriage. The others nodded their silent assent, and he made his way to the rock, where he buried the stone once more. Laban led a tearful Anna down the moonlit path back to their home, and Sien glanced shyly between Roman and her parents. It's hard to believe you've known me for eight years, she said. He closed the distance between them, wiping dirty hands on his trousers before holding them out. She took them without hesitation. What kinds of things did we do? she asked. He smiled down at her, remembering their childhood games. We fought and played and laughed. You're a sore loser, which worked out well enough since you often won. He nudged her shoulder with his and she laughed, taking a step closer. His chin bumped her cheek, but before he could pull away and apologize, her whispered question froze him in his steps. How many times did we kiss? Outside of greetings on the hand, Roman breathed the words out, afraid to anticipate where this might go. None. She tilted her head back, gazing up at him. It doesn't seem fair to you, having to hold all those memories for both of us, but none of them contains a kiss. He moved his hand back to her cheek, letting his thumb caress her soft skin. It didn't seem fair to hold such a memory when you wouldn't share it, too. She stood on tiptoe, bringing them eye-level, letting their breath mingle. Make sure that when you break the curse, it's a day I've fallen in love with you. His eyes dropped to her mouth, watching it part with her impish grin. Then she leaned in, letting their lips brush tenderly before he wrapped his arms around her, crushing her against him. His heart pounded in his ears, the desire he'd held at bay roaring for release, reveling in this small but sweet victory. She kissed him hungrily, as though they'd broken the curse, as if she might die tomorrow. 
He returned the fervor, letting it fuel his passion for finding her cure. When they pulled away, every inch of his body tingled, longing for more. Their foreheads rested against each other's, the heat between them unbearable. Tomorrow, she whispered. When there's a tomorrow, we'll be together again. Chapter 7 the next day, Roman sent off a dozen letters to various professors and physicians, explaining the need to have a friend's health evaluated. It made him late with his chores, so he almost missed Sienne. He rushed down the hill toward the edge of the woods, where he could barely make out her back as she headed home. Sienne! he called her name, then waved wildly as she turned. She hesitated before heading his way, forever trusting that the fence would protect her from whatever threats rested on the other side of her property. "'Do I know you?' she asked as she closed the distance between them. He stood by the fence, no longer bothered by the never-ending introductions. "'Not yet.' "'That implies you plan to get to know me,' she wrapped her fingers around the posts from the other side. He leaned in dangerously close, risking scaring her off, but unable to keep himself away after the kiss they'd shared. "'Tomorrow,' he said. "'Tomorrow I expect to know you very well.' Her cheeks flushed, but she didn't back away. "'And if I refuse to spend time with you today?' "'Then I'll try again,' he said. "'And again, and again.' She laughed. "'Your persistence just might pay off.' He sobered studying every freckle on her face before letting his gaze linger on the lips he longed to kiss. That's what I'm counting on. I hope you enjoyed listening to When There's a Tomorrow by Corinne Norton and narrated by Peter Franzen of Christian Geek Central. If you enjoyed listening to Peter narrate the story, you might also enjoy listening to his podcast, Christian Geek Central, where he discusses movies, video games, and all things enjoyed by self-proclaimed geeks from a Christian worldview. And if you enjoyed my writing, you might enjoy Blood of the Stars, which is the first book in my epic fantasy series. With the Kickstarter being over, it's not available until March of 2024, which means the ebook copy I'm giving away in this month's giveaway is your only chance to snag it between now and then. If you want a chance to win, go to findingfantasyreads.com giveaway to enter. This particular story is featured in From the Arcane, Relics of Legend and Lore, which is an anthology filled with stories centered around magical artifacts and weapons. You can grab a copy for 99 cents, and I'll have a link for it in the show notes, along with the fantastic Facebook group featuring it that you should all be in. As always, thank you all for listening, and happy reading. <laughs>